You're listening to the Thread Wellbeing Podcast, where we speak with new thought leaders about their sole purpose. We acknowledge the Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung people, the traditional custodians of the land this podcast is put together on. We pay our deepest respects to their elders past and present. Today's inspiring conversation is with Jim Skivalidas, founder of I'm Just a Man. Welcome listeners. Tonight we bring you a special event with this wonderful gentleman, Jim Skivalidis, who is the founder of a wonderful organisation called I'm Just a Man. He's a chiropractor, owner and founder of Melbourne Chiropractic Clinic, kinesiologist and also the creative designer behind a fantastic sleep range called the Chiropractic Mattress Range. I have been fortunate enough to know Jim for a few years and it is our honour for both Kat and I to bring this very special message this Movember with our wonderful friend Jim. Welcome Jim. Welcome, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for being here. And so Jim, um, I'm really excited to speak with you because it is such an important month raising awareness for men's mental health. And I feel that after reading your story and now meeting you and hearing what you're about to share with us, you kind of go to the heart of what Movember and what I Am Just a Man is truly about. What, I've had the privilege of reading your story. Would you mind sharing with us sort of the moment, the pivotal moment that happened for you that led you into the space where you are today? Yeah, um, again, thank you for sharing that. I, I get, look, there's, I guess, so many factors that came into it, but probably the best way to kind of look at it was, you know, it's been almost six years now, but my business burnt down on November the 24th. That was... 2014 my brother had called me up I remember it was around 7 7 15 or 7 o'clock in the morning and he was like you know um you need to come down the clinic roof's on fire and my my mind was like no no just go inside knock the doors down there's fire extinguishers inside the kitchen and you know just get in there and sort it out and then he turned around and said, mate, you don't realise your roof's on fire. And then when he said that, I had this really awful visual of what I ended up discovering literally 20 minutes later because I was living in Richmond. You know, I walked into it like a blaze. It was like a, something out of hell. It was like, a, I couldn't even describe it. It was this entire roof was on fire and I, and, and I was like, shit, you know. I, I, no time to think. I remember... Um, um, as I entered through um, coming that Lion Street in Port Melbourne, on the right-hand side were like reporters everywhere. All the all the TV stations, or four, four, five, six fire brigades there. It was just something out of hell. And so I remember with my wife, I said, let's just race into the neighbor's house, which we did. and tried to avoid the media. My mind was ticking that way. And, you know... That was a, a time in my life which obviously opened me up into a space of discovering what I guess what men's mental health was. I, when I dealt with that day and, and the brigade, the police, um, 
uh, insurances. I remember I slept that night at mum's house, which was up the road, probably about 600 metres. And I remember having a dream of my, my father, as my father had passed away at that stage about eight years earlier. And I knew that that was something. So I thought, no, nah, that didn't happen. It was a bad nightmare. I'm going to go down and have a look at the clinic. And obviously, when I got there, it was about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning the next day. The whole thing was barricaded with fences everywhere. And it's like, you know, I think that's when I had um, what I call the argument with God that moment. And I literally, if you don't, can I swear for a moment? I remember saying, you know, what the fuck do you want me to be doing? That's what I said. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing in life. You know, and then that's when I had, which I didn't realize till like two and a half years later that, you know, the, the negative conversation went to my head and was like, you're not good enough. You know, my wife and I were in IVF at that stage for, you know, two, three years. You're not going to have a baby. So they kind of got thrown away or thrown so far away that I couldn't see it. And it was like, how are you going to work? You've got, you've got huge debt here. And then, in that moment is when I had those really strong, I guess, suicidal thoughts, which was the jump. And I didn't realize that moment, literally to two and a half years later. And once I rebuilt myself and Teresa knows where I'm practicing now, I'd moved into my building here, um, which is in Rouse Street, Port Melbourne. And I'm very blessed. I'm very happy for everything happening. And a friend of mine at the time had suggested, you know, that I should go and do music, play music. And I was like, what for, man? I go, I'm a chiropractor. Yeah, I love Kiss. I love In Excess, but that's not my thing. Anyway, I ended up doing it. And it was a program called Weekend Warrior in Melbourne. And it was the first time ever I um, performed on a stage, you know, at the ripe old age of 42. And we're talking full rock music. I'm like, what is this? It's like, wow, this is amazing. So six weeks later, I ended up in the United States and I was at a rock camp with one of my absolute idols, which is Paul Stanley. And I loved it that much that because I was the only Aussie at this Los Angeles camp with all these big names, they ended up having me recording with a, what was it called? a Guns N' Roses producer. I did a song by Rolling Stones. And I loved that experience so much that when I ended up coming back to Melbourne at the end of um, in 16, in 17, I had this real drive to record music about men who had died from suicide or overdose. That was my drive. And when I found this engineer, he goes, why are you doing that? I, go, I don't know. I just have to do it, I said. And then it was the literally the suicide of um, Chris Cornell, who was a massive music mentor that I had this huge inclination that, you know, I have to put an event together that brings in music and mental health, you know, and I, when I was promoting it the first time around July of 2017, I literally, it was the first gala got created in three months. Everyone thought I was crazy. I am crazy. And, um, but it was that whole, I realized something powerful. I thought, you know what, here are these incredible human beings that were that are that have influenced people's lives they've been the soundtrack of people's lives that how can i twist that and make the music the the mental health message that's kind of how it got created and this and the and the, and the name i'm just a man people don't realize it but it was actually a song that Michael hutchins wrote with andrew farris the 
the year before he passed or the year he passed to song by in excess and it's he sings a song about his family about his mother his father and his brother and sister and we're all part of that we've all got families whether we love them hate them or whatever is our own shit that we experience and we all do have it you know, and, and those who deny it are denying it and when I broke up that word, I'm just a man, it was like, I am was the whole, I give myself permission. And just was like, you know, morally valued. Just was also the ability to adapt, like adjustment, I guess, in chiropractic. And a man was nothing to do with men. It was about being human, which was the ability to be vulnerable, number one. And in that vulnerability is where the true creation gets created, you know. And... What, one of the biggest things that happened for me was um, right after the fire, I reached out to someone that I met at a seminar who ended up doing this course, and his name's Andrew Griffiths. And he um, did this thing when he spoke on stage, he just spoke like from the heart. And I was like, I couldn't do that before. And so I reached out to him January of 2015. I said, I've got to spend time with you and all this kind of stuff and i realized how powerful that was you know and not not trying it wasn't it wasn't pitying yourself it was just owning it it was just laying it out just saying how, how you felt without it meaning that you were weak it didn't mean that you were you know without without the true shame without without it meaning without it having any detrimental effect it had a nothing but a sort of positive effect i remember he spoke at my second gala but that was what i discovered the power of vulnerability and but not to stay in that not to stay in pity but it was to keep working on yourself and i did a lot of work with john d martini who's a human behavior specialist and i applied a lot of his stuff as well and and it was also at the time when i had the um when Chris Cornell had suicided, I had approached Yon Blue to do the I'm Just a Man event. And I'd met Kirk Pengilly from NXS around that time too in Queensland. And he's the one who introduced me to Movember because he was part of Movember, which I knew about Movember. He said, why don't you, you should do something in Movember. And it's like, hang on, the, my rock hero is telling me I should do it. I'm doing it. <laughs> That's what happened. And so I ended up teaming up more with them really at the end. And that's really who my primary person is that I kind of work with. And so then I thought, you know, why isn't anyone else doing this? Why isn't anyone using the power of music and real kind of rock music, you know, stuff that still doesn't matter your generation, people know the stuff. And we're now seeing so many different people in the music industry that are opening up. You know, there was Powderfinger did something really powerful, um, amazing during lockdown where they did a something for beyond blue and i thought hey man you're still in my thunder <laughs> so yeah that that's that's kind of how it sort of sat together and because i've been sharing the story with so many different people through my networks then i've been in, i've been introduced to um beyond blue and are you okay and outside the locker room and love me love you foundation i've met all these incredible people that have that have that same, I guess, passion and love for, for men's mental health. I mean, people have shared so many stories. I think 
one of the biggest things that I heard that was very touching, and I still find it touching now, is when um, uh, one, a lady came up to me on my first gala. She was just crying and thanked me for, for the space. And I said, oh, look, I didn't do this. It's, it's a team effort. And she goes, no, you, we, my father suicide when I was a kid. We were not allowed to talk about it. And it's like, what do you say to someone like that? And I think the other thing also uh, that I've mentioned is that I've had I've got suicide on my father's side quite a bit, and I've had th I think three, and that's a lot for a family. But it was never discussed growing up, you know. Or I I was dismissive of it. You know, he killed himself, which is horrible, horrible to say. It's such a complex uh, concept, suicide, and you know, I think all of us live. Somewhere between, I want to say suicide, I don't mean anyone being suicidal, but we all live between death. We, we may all die at some time in our lives and, and being healthy. And it's like, if we can express that breadth in the community, that we just make it normal to be aware of a conversation, not, not of how people do things for goodness sake, but, you know, to create that open, to create that um, doorways you know, so that people can check in on each other, express each other, have that constant communication that it's not a chore, it's not a job, but it's just a natural flow. So one of the things that we we took from November for I'm Just a Man was I have everyone wear a rock t-shirt uh, as, as part of the part of the fun, yep, yep, on the night. I don't let the guy wear a shirt and tie, yes. And then I have face painting as well for the guys and girls and... And it's, um, you, you walk into the room and it's, you've got to break down those, what I realized is breaking down those barriers. And I had this really amazing experience about a year and a half ago. Again, I went to my third camp in Los Angeles. I go to these rock camps and I've got this incredible, really it's all full on big LA musicians, right? And um, two bands were there that I performed with. One was Stone Temple Pilots. Grunge Eros, I love the Grunge Eros too, and Alison Chains, and they both lost their front men to mental health challenges. One was overdose, and the other one was overdose, and the other guy was suicide. So it's there, it's, it's real. And I went there promoting I'm Just a Man, and every day I wore a t shirt. And it created the most incredible conversations with leaders of universal music. You know, these are big, these are big guns in LA. And, but again, I, I spoke openly about it you know and they, they, everybody wants to hear those stories that you don't you know I think people are just starting to open up now probably the last maybe five years maybe the last two three years and I just feel I honestly feel honored sharing this stuff and I think there's a lot of work to be done in the space so yeah Jim, there's so much that you shared there and I think <laughs> oh no no apologies that's you touched on so many things and um, we will definitely talk about your events shortly, but going back, what you're sharing is so important. This conversation around mental health, the stigma around mental health and particularly men's mental health needs to be removed. You know, we are so, you're a chiropractor. So, you know, we, we take the physical health of a body so pivotal for someone. Like it, it's, it's the first core of our health system 
And then we look at the emotional health. And, and as a chiropractor and, and myself as a, as a medial therapist, we know that the body wears the emotions. We know, we see it, we see it in how the body moves. But that conversation around mental health is crucial. It should be part of everyday conversation and it should be at the forefront of our health system. So what you're sharing is something that we, both Kat and I truly believe and believe it with what we've been doing during this whole COVID period, but it's also what COVID has actually highlighted. You know, couples and families have been at home. There has been more of that awareness now of what's happening and particularly on how men also interpret their self-worth and how worth is often associated to um, work and that profile. You touched on your business burning down. Now, I want to go to that. Metaphysically, you know, I feel that that fire in some ways fired you up to sure. go into another area and create something amazing and cleansed an aspect of your life. But before discussing that, what I want to talk about is what you felt like how much of your identity was in your business and was that the catalyst of what the next moves were about no doubt i for me like the clinic that i had was, was 81 bridge street i loved it i it was a home i had for about 15 years you know i had 10 years was it was an investment was an investment property but I bought it for the reason to set up as a clinic. And when I moved in there in 2011, by 2012, I went, I started this process where I completely renovated the entire property, completely renovated everything. I put Japanese gardens in it. I had water features. I put these glass bits everywhere. I changed the back so that people could see the beds. I made it kind of like a modern home, but you knew it had the Spanish, the Spanish bungalow and it was a corner building just off Bay Street, I knew, everyone knew it. So yeah, that, and I know when I've done work, say with um, Tony Robbins or the Maslow needs, significance is a big thing for me. Like not from, not from oh, look at me and look at, check me out. It was just maybe because being an eldest, the eldest son in, in a Greek Mediterranean family, that's just how, I, it's how my needs are fulfilled. So the achievement, that got crushed. That got crushed that morning. And Again, and then because I attached from that, you know, there is a financial part to that, yeah. So I, I earn money from that. Okay, so that got crushed. And it sits in, within the, my hierarchy of values or, or if you look at that system or if you look at, you know, my human needs, you know, I, I felt connected with people through the property and because it wasn't there, it's like I've lost that connection. Um, but yeah, financially things went through the roof, you know, my, all this work that I've done, you know, being a chiropractor at that stage, and that was 15 years. And then you're going, what am I meant to be doing? You know, like, you know, I've, I've, I've waited for this moment to be here. I've renovated all the rooms. I've been in that property three years straight, three years straight, renovating it, made it look amazing, schmick, blah, blah, blah. And it was, that was the whole argument. So I don't know, I don't know what I meant to be doing. I didn't know what I was meant to be doing. So I think that's what crushed it. But I think when I discovered um, 
say, the music. And if I look at that, I found a joy. I think that's what it was. I found this incredible joy of creation that has vulnerability as well as, you know, ego, partly ego. It's got a lot of stuff in it. But it was fun. It's enjoyable. It's mine. It's not, you can't take that away from me. All I need to do is be put in a corner, put some music on and I'm acting like a front man in some bathroom. You know what I mean? So I felt that joy that I could never do. And I think what helped that part is because I'm such a huge Kiss fan and I go on these Kiss cruises each year, except for this year, there's all that dress up that goes on these Halloween Kiss cruises. But it was one thing to dress up, right? and just be looking good because you're not doing anything with it. And another thing to dress up and sing to 500 people in Los Angeles, right? And, be, and being the opening act and the closing act, that's different, right? Then you're like, that's where I felt it the most. Because I remember a guy coming up to me last year. He goes, man, how do you do that? I go, I don't know how I do that. I said, I go, I don't plan the moves on the stage, you know, it's just, you just harness what these other guys had. They're, and they were gifts. Michael Hutchins, Mick Jagger is alive, Robert Plant, Paul Stanley from Kiss. They demonstrate this vulnerability, I believe. That's kind of what I feel. But if you then start to dabble into drugs, don't sleep. And I'm not, I'm not ne making it negative that people experience life. But when the excess kicks in or takes over and you lose your own sense of reality, then you, you lose the gift that goes with that rather than come back to some level of harmony or some balance. So that's what I was seeing. And I thought, how can I make that the message where I can get people to be literally women and men be rock stars, you know, on this night, you know, but talk about stuff that's real because that's what people connect to. You know, we can say, Oh man, like check out, I bought this or I've got this. Look at my car, but it, people are like, how do you feel? How do you really feel, man? You know, that's the power. And you've just brought up as well the image of Freddie Mercury keeps coming up in my head. I mean, talk about a man who is creative on stage and, and open and vulnerable. And, and I just, I love that you were bringing up this um, aspect of creative, fun, allowing of like that side that sometimes as an adult, we might feel like we have to, you know, rein it in a little bit and not, you know, e explore and still, you know, have fun. And I, that's what I'm getting from what you're saying is that when you were able to sort of, you know, do these shows is that you're expressing this other side that really needs to come out to have a balanced life and a balanced fun and a balanced personality you did also mention something a little bit earlier which i would like to ask you about which around generational communication and mental health like obviously you know and you've mentioned that people in your family have um suicided a different generation and a different conversation was happening at that time yes. for those men who potentially were feeling like they couldn't be vulnerable and now we're moving through a space that as you highlighted in the last sort of five years has really come to fruition and then during COVID I think has been a, a catalyst for people we don't have an option at, we didn't especially in Victoria 
to say that we're okay if we're not okay. It was, there were too many things happening around that time. I personally see that as a really positive thing because people have to say how they are. And when you're asking that question, you're asking from the space that you potentially will know, you know, what it's like to not be feeling okay. How, how do you see this generational change to current day mental health? Okay, if I give you an example, like I remember, like, um, I remember one of my cousins suiciding a long time ago. It would have been twenty-five years ago. Oh, no, was it twenty-five? Yeah, about twenty-five years ago. And I went to go. I went to. I went to Greece in ninety-eight, and my aunties, my my dad's sister said, "Don't say nothing about Chris." That was my cousin. And so I thought, oh, hi, I've just come from Australia. All right, that's the opening line and open the door. <laughs> right. Anyway, so I've, I've seen him talk to my grandfather, right? And I'm, you know, he's special to me. I'm named after him, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm sitting there asking about the family tree. My father never knew the family tree because he didn't ask. That's probably, you don't ask that if you're in poverty growing up, I guess, right? I wanted to know where I came from. And then, so his name came up, Chris. And then he turned around, this is all in Greek. He's telling me, they think I'm stupid. This is him, my, this is my grandfather. They think, he's, I think I'm stupid. I know he killed himself. He goes, but I, I found it amazing the way he expressed it. He goes, he just, he got involved with, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what, what happened. He was involved with bad people, but, I, but he goes, but they think I'm stupid. And what I got from that was here they are hiding information about his one of his grandsons passing away and you know they're blaming it on something else and I think when I hear the stories from I'm just a man participants let's say or even I call it my I'm just a man tour when I've gone around different business groups and sharing the message that there was definitely the, and there's two parts of it. There was the shame to talking about people that had passed, you know, the, the shame of the way they grew up with it, I should say more, that they weren't allowed to speak about specifically girls. And then, um, and then I've heard, um, and what I'm seeing now is definitely this more openness. But at the same time, what I've also seen is, like I've mentioned with one of my friends, is that as you come closer to that, connection where you need to open that door of vulnerability i've even seen a bit more resistance in some people which i think has been reflective i mean one of the greatest gifts of COVID by far would be the the mental health potential revolution that can happen but we've also seen unfortunately <clears throat> suicide skyrocket during this time because you get the polar opposite happen as well it's that co coexists i don't know if i can truly say that i can stop that happening because it's life but what we certainly can do is make it okay and allow have these pathways and these open communications where where we can have these conversations and have real responses that, again i keep saying not to stay in self-pity but just to own it it's okay to have those leopard spots or those stripes or those scars. They're just part of your makeup. And that doesn't mean that it defines you. 
And that was the thing that I that I found was at some probably in the early point I made the fire define me. And to some point I still do now, but I, I leap forward and use the story of that so that other experiences have come into fruition, which they have, like especially the journey of meeting so many amazing people, including this podcast I'm doing now. And the whole thing that I found with music that's powerful, particularly, so there's a part of that music where there's all these suicides and people that are not here, but Kiss is still here. And they're in their 70s, for fuck's sake, sorry, swearing, and wearing makeup still and jumping on stage off their teenagers, as is Mick Jagger, who's in his 70s. And he did bad stuff, whereas... Gene Simmons always said he doesn't do drugs, I'm sure, and Paul did a little bit, but they were quite healthy. Mick did his thing going, I want to keep providing my gift. They're demonstrating to us as 70-year-old men that you can still play. So now we don't all can be like that, I'm saying, but find where you can play. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I'm seeing there. And because they're alive, they're demonstrating to us the fun. You know what I'm saying? And they're older men, older men without being disrespectful. You know what I mean? You share so openly and something you just said is, is really pivotal. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah, of course. And I love that we can open these conversations um, through that manner and allow people to connect to that vulnerability because it's in that, it's when we can open up to that space that real help occurs and often just admitting we're not okay and having someone truly hear that message is all we need to then be able to make a shift. And I also, something you mentioned is when your business burnt down and you said it a few times is that you're at the crossroad and you're thinking, what the fuck am I here to do? And I love that. And for me, that reminded me of that eat, pray, love moment, you know, of seeing yourself on the tiles. And we we all have it. We've all had a moment like that where you are truly at the crossroads and you're speaking to a greater infinite spirit and you're thinking, where am I to go? And what you are highlighting for us is that you found music. And we know that music is a healing tool and particularly in the wellbeing industry. But I love that you have gone to rock music and that this music, you have found a message that many other people would actually not notice that in those words, there's something really powerful. And I'm loving that you have, you're sharing a whole new genre in this sector that can connect to it and then be able to use it as an opportunity for change. Do you know what I saw? I, I saw something literally five days ago, right? And because of my love for in excess, I'm, I'm part of different um, different Facebook groups as we are, right? And I'm part of one with Andrew Farris who co-wrote the song, I'm Just a Man with, with Michael Hutchins. And he, he, re- he recently released a EP called... Um, I can't remember the actual EP, but the second song on that track is called My Brother. And he co-wrote the song with John Stevens. Now, John Stevens fronted in excess for a very brief moment after Michael's passing. And, you know, it would have been a very tough time, all that stuff when it was happening to try to, how do you do it? You never replace someone that powerful, but 
if you can pay homage or honor him in some way in the music. But John Stevens also lost his brother to suicide at the time. And but what, what I found most fascinating about it, and I find it very touching, is that Andrew, in this little interview that goes for 45 seconds, I think, or a minute, whatever, talks about how he wrote this song a long time ago, but he was not ready to talk about it. And when, and when you see that, you go, well, there it is. Like, it's so easy for even me. I can at times be judging. Why can't they see it? But maybe people aren't ready for to to express how they feel or share that they felt like that. And I was so touched by that that I wrote something in the in that group about it because it meant so much to me. It's like you know that's that's the key. It's, he showed vulnerability in that moment that he wasn't right, and he said men don't speak up, which is true. And and that's the other thing that I've I guess really learned with I'm just a man is that it it, it I've, and beautiful little women are involved, but I find it powerful when other men show, open up at the same time, because it creates these multiple parts. Because I guess from what I've understood, say with my experiences around, say when I've gone and done a holistic course, I don't find a lot of men in there, <laughs> more women are there, do you get what I'm saying? So let's flip this on this side around men's mental health it's wonderful to see more blokes. Uh, and that's why, I, and I guess that's why I'm driving with the music. There's probably a couple of reasons. Uh, I mean, other than I love it, it's a powerful way to touch people. And if a politician came out and said, you know what, we need to talk about men's mental health, ah, get stuff, right? But if a rock musician came out that we put on pedestals, but showed a vulnerability, that we need to talk about mental health. It's powerful. Like something that um, you, you don't know, but what I what I I got involved recently with some super fans, in excess fans, and we we want to get the band inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is in in, in the United States. But one of the reasons I actually have told these people I want to do it is I want people to know the importance of rock music in excess and mental health. It's one of the reasons. And people don't realise, but Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine is a huge supporter of men's mental health. Ace Freely, who was the original guitarist, when he came on stage and got his award at this um, hall six years ago, he talked about opening his depression and his alcohol addiction. That's kind of what we need to do, right? We need to own it, you know, and whatever, whatever that represents, you know. So otherwise we hide stuff and it's going to have... I think, you know, you bottle things up for a long time and ends up having a, a detrimental effect. Can I mention one more thing there? You look at the concept of health, right? And health is physical, mental, and social well-being. We've only discussed, we've only sort of focused on the mental well-being, oh, sorry, physical well-being, and COVID's really given us the platform to go, hey, what about the mental and the social well-being? And that's just huge thank you for touching on that because i think that during covid um there's been this for some there's been a gravitation to a community you know to to even if we've been insular depend obviously this is very dependent on everybody's situation but 
I bet that so many people will have a handful of people that they reach out to and they're, as you said, they're sort of reaching out multiple times and it's building that sense of community and it's saying, okay, if, if I've got, if I'm feeling really good today, okay, can I extend this to someone who I maybe know is not feeling so good? And it's, it's, it's building a, a structure for some. I wanted to ask you, there is a, you, you touched on what it means to be vulnerable and to be open and that for some people, not only men, for women as well, um, that that open dialogue of being vulnerable and sharing that space can be a block and can be really hard and you don't want to know about it and you want to sweep it under the rug. Is there and you mentioned music as a tool to do this, but are there other tools that you could suggest for people to start to enter into that space of becoming more vulnerable? What would you suggest around someone who, who maybe is struggling, but is also struggling to open up about it? Well, I guess one of the, one of the things that I did, so one of the, I guess, strategies that I did to, I guess firstly I saw I saw people demonstrating their own vulnerability and I say two two things that come to mind was that mentor of mine Andrew Griffiths and then the other thing that I seen was say I got writing to the Dalai at the time too and kindness and he, he would do if you ever looked at the way the Dalai did stuff he would he would go up to children for example and put his hand on it and to me, that showed like, like I'm, I'm giving myself to you without it meaning anything else. Or, you know, or he would go up to animals like penguins and just touch them against his face. Like, so that was one thing. But I think the biggest thing is a, is a, as, as a way of, of, of being vulnerable was I, I did a lot of gratitude work. You know, I looked at what am I... Because a lot of the times when you go to vulnerability and you don't want to face the things that you want to see, you, you attach such heaviness and density to it that to somehow create this balance for it, I just ensured myself that what have I got that's great in my life and amazing and, and, and I'm blessed for. Because if you look at the word, if you look at gratitude, like you got to understand what gratitude is. Gratitude is, which comes from the Greek language, by the way, um, and we always bring it back to the Greek. It's it's um, Eucharist, as they which they've done in churches, but it means efkarizo. Efko means I am blessed with the gift, and I really had to go. Well, I've got my family. I'm blessed. My wife's there. My mother's there. I'm blessed because I still have patients, but I don't know where they are. They're not anywhere at the moment. But, the, but they're still there. So that meant that because I had that, I guess, support network that was sitting in the background, both in how I felt and the people that were around me, then even though I knew financially I was under real, a real challenge, it, um, I guess that's what it was for me. I used that kind of strategy that kindness was there, important be kind to myself because I've seen how these guys were kind. And then gratitude of those that were around me and what I had. And not financially that part, but it was more that the love was there. 
And then from that, um, and because people were around me going, you can do this, we know you're going to find a way how to do it. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do at that stage, but like to, to lift out of it. But that's kind of what I did. I just, I used a lot of, I thanked everything that I had. I thanked everything I had. I applied the Eucharist, I applied the gratitude to what I had and have, I should say, have. Jim, you're touching on some concepts there that are, are so important to both Kat and I, um, but they're, they're real concepts. And I think they are finding a way of weaving back into mainstream society. Like, you know, many people would think it was a new age concept or it was a spiritualist only concept or those that are associated to a particular religion. Um, but, you know, you said, I am blessed. Now, we know I am are two of the most powerful words that exist. And even if we were just to use that as our daily mantra, just I am, yeah. that already takes us to a higher state of consciousness. And, you know, when you're using that word blessed and gratitude, uh, Kat and I have been working on a fantastic project, which is a gratitude journal. So we're at the end of that project now um and that is really what we talk about and the importance of seeing that and i think at any point when you experience real darkness in your life when there is that moment of darkness i think and i know this from a personal perspective when i have been able to shift from despair to look at what am i grateful for right now it, it does it makes that whole change but what i'm loving about everything that you are talking about is that it does take us to this amazing event that you have on the 22nd of november so kat and i have decided to honor your event by popping these on <laughs> we really want you to touch on though this amazing event that you have going on we know that this is its fourth year Yes, that's correct. Please share with us um, how different this one is going to be this year because it's virtual, but also what this is all about. I'm Just a Man 4 is coming up. It's on the Sunday, the 22nd of November, uh, 5.30 to 8.30. It's, it is virtual. I didn't start putting it together till literally probably three weeks ago and I just wasn't in the headspace for it because of the year that we've all had. We've all, you know, try to survive the year and, and feel, again, feel very honoured and blessed with everything around me and like, like I imagine both of you guys as well. This year, because we can't do it in person, you know, I got creative with some of the, some of the, the team and we're going to create, firstly, we're going to talk about our own, because we're a foundation now, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're going to do. Uh, and the aim around businesses and, and, and also school, uh, school children or teenagers. We've got a program we're putting together with that. Um, and we're going to run through um, what's called the seven pillars of mental health happiness. So we're going to have three breakout rooms that are rock and roll based. So there'll be a kiss room. There'll be a in excess room, which I'm going to be part of. And there'll be a... Um, There'll also be a David Bowie room. So that's the kind of, just to create a little bit of a fun aspect. Very blessed. I've got um, three amazing speakers. I've got, um, firstly, Tina Hutchins, 
Now, Tina Hutchins is the sister of Michael Hutchins who, from NXS. And because I've connected with her and a few other people, um, I'm very honored to have her. She's from, she's in Los, I think she's in Los Angeles, California. So, you know, it's going to be wee hours for her. I'm very excited to have her. She'll open the event. I've also got another guy who's quite well known in the Melbourne, I guess, radio space, which is Christian O'Connell. And he's, um, he'll be talking about music and, you know, he had to pivot too because they don't go into the studios like they were before. So, and he was at my event last year. And when I met him, I think I jumped on him literally <laughs> because I, um, I find him quite funny and I like the way he speaks. I like his accent. And I stole him for about five or 10 minutes and we spoke about uh, mental health. It was amazing, Uncle Hutchins. And then the last person that I've got there is uh, Lainey Beachley. I met Lainey a few times now through, I guess, more wellness spaces. And she's married to one of my absolute mentors who got me onto November, which is Kirk Pengilly. So it's a kind of a full circle this year in some ways, coming back to, to the music part. But I, again, because I'm always sticking to the music, not like, oh my God, it's the musicians. It's staying vulnerable still. It's their people and they've got amazing stories to share. And I think because music touches all of us so much that, Again, I feel, I mean, I feel so empowered by it and blessed that the more we can get this message out, I think the more we'll make a difference. And it's only going to be $27, so it's, it's a giveaway. Can I join? Can I get a ticket? <laughs> it's men and women together. That's the thing. So. Yes. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so, I really want to just say a big thank you to you. I think that you're bringing such... Um, a needed conversation, you know, and it, it's continuing this conversation. It's bringing it into a different avenue that's something fun, but it's also that's something very raw. Yes. And I, yeah, I just, I, <laughs> as a sister and as a daughter of men, I want to say a big thank you for thank everything you. that you're bringing. Thank yeah. You. That's very, very kind of you to say that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Jim, yes, I want to sincerely thank you for taking the time to be part of today. Um, we will definitely be promoting this amazing event. Kat and I will be present. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely be present at that and we'll share this. It is such, it's such a crucial aspect of our health. And I'm so grateful to you for being at the forefront and for anyone in Melbourne to be able to connect with you personally, um, either through your work as a chiropractor, but also through this raising the awareness and having the contacts and, and you know, the, the different referrals that you will have under this foundation. Uh, it's just so crucial. And we are in awe of you and of your work. Thank um, you. Very nice of you to say that. Thank you. And just grateful to all that you've shared because we've touched on a lot and I know there's more we could delve deeper in, um, but just grateful for sharing so openly with us and in doing so, you give permission to others and particularly other men to share openly as well. So abundant blessings to you, Jim. You. Uh, we look forward to connecting further soon. Mm -hmm.